Wasn't there a, uh, a Ray Stevens song years ago? I may be familiar with Ray Stevens. Wasn't there a song that he did something about a squirrel in church? Do, do you know, am, I, am, I, am I remembering that correctly? I don't remember how it goes, and I'm certainly not going to sing it to you. Um, but the reason I was thinking about that, I was looking at the flowers again. Pastor Don brings these in every week, and, and they're beautiful. And again, please, if you're a first-time guest, pick one up as you leave this morning. But um, I was laughing because at the, before the 815 service, I was walking down here, and I looked, and he clearly picked up a hitchhiker. There was a big frog <laughs> that was sitting right there. And, I, and so I caught it and um, uh, took it, you know, and released it outside in, in the bushes. But I was thinking, this, the choir anthem at the 815 service was called It's Shouting Time. And I thought, if I had to let that frog stay there, and he had started jumping. That might have been shouting time. It would have been interesting. In fact, I was kind of sorry that I, I'm glad I rescued it. I wouldn't want to get hurt, but that might have been an interesting story. Um, I, I just thought of that and thought I'd share it off the top of my head. Um, this morning, our scripture is in Acts chapter 6. That's where we're going to go. And the reason that I chose this text this morning was because, as, as I mentioned during prayer time, and we've talked about it all, service, all morning in our services, uh, this Sunday is, is the, the time of the year that we annually designate to, to honor and to lift up and support our Stephen ministers and our Stephen ministry. And as I said, it is a, it is a wonderful gift because our Stephen ministers step into, into the gaps. Of, of our life and our ministry together. And, and they're, they're people that have dedicated themselves to meeting needs. And, and the Stephen ministers meet a lot of different needs. It's, it's not fair to kind of limit what they do because they step in in a lot of places, grief share programs, uh, the, the night to remember that we do uh, each year to honor those who have passed away in the previous year. Uh, they serve communion. They just do a lot of things. But their, their focus... And the heart of Stephen Ministry is one-on-one care. Care for people um, in, in places of need, ongoing care and, and blessings and support. And it just dawned on me that we use that term Stephen Ministry. Many of you know what that reference, reference is, but not all of you might. So I thought this would be a good time to go back to the, 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 the foundational story um, of, of Stephen Ministry and where uh, they get their name and and where the, the, the idea for the, this ministry is birthed and where we see it scripturally. So that's where we're going to go. I did get a note from them, so I don't want to forget that they just want to make sure you know that after worship, the bake sale and the silent auction are still going on. So you can do that as you leave um, this morning. You can stick around. There's no rush after the service is over. But uh, we want to turn to uh, Acts chapter 6 and read these first seven verses of this part of the the history of the early church. It begins here, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, and let me just pause and take a breath there, that really is important. The growth of the church is is part of the underlying tension that's going to emerge here, the blessing that becomes a challenge for the early church. In the days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews... Among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, 
it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, your word is inspired, empowered, quickened by your Holy Spirit. Quicken our hearts that we would be inspired to be hearers and doers of the word, challenged in faith and shaped into the likeness of Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. There is a, um, a rabbi turned comedian by the name of Robert Alper. Um, I hear him on the radio from time to time on one of the, the comedy channels that I'll flip around to. And uh, he tells a story, kind of a tongue-in-cheek story, of, of uh, making a phone call one day to try to talk to a friend uh, who was a, a rabbi. And so he called the temple where his friend worked, but, but he called either after hours or the office was closed, whatever the case was. He got the answering machine. And so he said that the answering machine picked up, and this is what he heard. He said, thank you. He heard, thank you for calling Beth Shalom Temple. We are very sorry that we're not available at the moment uh, to take your call. But if you would like more information about the synagogue, please press 1. If you would like information about becoming a member at the temple, please press 2. If you would like to complain to our rabbi, please press 3. If you would like to complain about our rabbi, please press 4, 5, or 6. And he tells that story to, to highlight a, a human reality, not a church reality. It is a church reality, but it's, it's just the, the truth of, of what happens when a group of more than one person starts to get together on a regular basis. And that is complaints will eventually emerge. Um, people will begin to, to highlight uh, shortcomings or perceived needs or things that they feel the organization um, should be doing better. And that is certainly not news to anybody who has spent any time in the church. We're not exempt from that. Uh, we're not immune from that. It happens. It's not always a bad thing. Uh, how it's done and how it's communicated can be a bad thing. Complaining in itself is a loaded word. But, but being challenged to be better and to be more faithful and more effective, that's, there, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But the reality is that, that it can sometimes um, begin to, to manifest itself in very challenging ways, and certainly that happens um, in the church. 
I, when I came out of, out of seminary as a, as a young uh, pastor, I was all of 25 years old, even though I was a preacher's kid. I still had a very um, naive and somewhat idealized idea of what working in the church was going to be like. Uh, I had a, a mentoring pastor who uh, I worked with one summer, and he warned me about that. He said, Chris, he said, you're, uh, you, you know, you're, you're kind of like right now, you're like a, a, a sheep among wolves. You know, be careful. And I thought, oh, that was pretty harsh. Uh, I get it now. Um, <laughs> but, but I remember the first two weeks of, of being appointed as the associate pastor at the church that Tony and I went to to serve, I had no less than three people set appointments with me to come because they essentially wanted to complain about something they didn't like that was happening in the church. One was about children's ministry. One was about the contemporary worship service. I don't even remember what the third one was, but there were people who were dissatisfied in some way, and not necessarily completely without merit, but they were, they were complaining. I mean, that's, just, that's what they were coming to do. I don't know why they were coming to me. I had no power, but they were coming to complain to me. And when I think about that reality in the church, I think about that reality again, and I say to the church, that's not fair, because if you're part of the Rotary, you're a part of community groups, you're a part of anything, you've experienced that. This is not a church problem. This is a human challenge. But specifically as it relates to the church, I read these words in Acts chapter 6, and I am, I'm encouraged in a very kind of weird way. Because when I read Acts chapter 6, I'm reminded that this challenge that we have is nothing new. That it's existed since the church began. And that sometimes we need to be open and attentive to some of those complaints some of those things, because sometimes they open our eyes to genuine needs, to genuine opportunities for us to live more faithfully as Christ has called us to. And so that is at the heart of Acts chapter 6. It is, begins very, very first chapter. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. I'm going to get to the complaint in a moment, but I want you to realize something. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, if you go back three chapters, I mean, not very far, and you come to the very end of Acts chapter 2, and you read about the, the birth of the church and the day of Pentecost and thousands had come to faith, you get this image of the church. You get this description, faithful description of what it meant to be the church. This is what it says of the church in verse 42. They, being the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in a fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 2, you have the description of the perfect church. I mean, it doesn't get any better than what you just read in Acts chapter 2. They were worshiping. They were praising God. They were taking care of each other. They were growing in the faith. More people were coming to Jesus. Lives were being changed. I mean, that is a description that any church would love to have applied to them in Acts chapter 2. By Acts chapter 6, they're starting to complain. 
It's starting to seep in. And the, the root of the tension starts right there, right there at the very beginning. Daily, more people were coming to faith. They were growing. You think, well, how's that a problem? Well, as the church began to grow, the cracks began to widen. The cracks that any church, any organization sometimes has to deal with in which people can fall through and feel forgotten about, left behind, neglected, not intentionally, not by design, but as a result of sometimes chaotic growth. And that's exactly what's happening here. The root of the problem is you have Jews from all over the, the Mediterranean that Mediterranean that were in Jerusalem, that heard Peter on the day of Pentecost, that came to faith in Jesus, but they spoke different languages. And that's really the difference between the Hellenistic, the Greek-speaking Jews, and the Hebraic Jews. And as the church continued to grow and continued daily to meet each other's needs and care for each other, what started to happen is this group of people, for whatever reason, felt they were being neglected. And maybe rightfully so. Maybe they were spot on. Maybe it was exactly, it may not have been intentional, and, and maybe it was. Maybe there were some deep-seated, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, racial and ethnic tension there. The scriptures doesn't give a, don't give us any insight into what the issue was, but it was happening. And the church at the very, very beginning, and it is seen in the complaint, falls into a trap that we still fall into, that we have to be very, very careful about. Because they take their complaint to the apostles. Now, that may be the appropriate place to take it because the apostles were the leaders of the church. But you have to understand what the underlying implication is. What they're saying is all these ministries aren't happening. All these needs are not being met. And it is your responsibility to meet them. They're looking to 12 leaders and they're saying among a church of now thousands you have to make sure everything is getting done. And that is the danger that churches and organizations, but especially faith communities, fall into. Is we fall into a trap sometimes, is we have a misunderstanding of what ministry is. And we think ministry is the responsibility of the few on behalf of the many. And the disciples, in their actions, drive home a point. They, they teach us a lesson that we need to continue to, to take hold of, that we need to continue to live into, and that they say, we can't do all of these things. Now, they say it in language that's a little different. In fact, if, if the truth be told, I found the translation I read from and the way that their words come across almost a little harsh. This is what they said in verse 2. Hear it again. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together, and they addressed the problem. So let, let's own this right now. There's some legitimate issues going on here. This is what they say. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, I don't know how you hear that, but I'm going to tell you how I hear that when I read it. It sounds dismissive. It sounds belittling, and, and that's my own bias. I read that, and, and I kind of project that they're kind of saying, this is beneath us. We can't neglect what we're doing, the important work we're doing to just wait on tables. And if you hear it that way, if you're like me and that's how you hear it, let me challenge you to hear it differently. Because I do not believe as you study the text, that's what they're saying at all. 
in the context of the Gospels, in the context of the work of Acts, in the fact that they were following Jesus, who, if you remember, on the night of his Last Supper, on the night of when he gathered the disciples, remember his words, he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Jesus who took the basin and the towel and washed his disciples' feet. I don't believe that's what the disciples are saying. I think their implication is different. What their meaning is different. In fact, let me read that same verse translated differently in the message. And this is what it says. This is how the message translates that. It says, So the twelve called a meeting of the disciples, and they said, It would not be right for us to abandon our responsibilities for preaching and teaching the Word of God to help care for the poor. It wouldn't be right for us to abandon what Peter and the disciples are saying, for us to abandon that primary responsibility for which we have been called. See, they understood very, very clearly their mandate. Jesus laid it out in Acts chapter 1. Go therefore, or in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. In Acts chapter 1, preach the word, the gospel, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the world. They understood what they were gifted, what they were called to do. Peter was a proclaimer of the gospel. He was a preacher and a teacher, as were the others. But what happened was, is as the church grew, and as that focus in ministry took shape, and, and Peter and the others were so effective, the, the balance of ministry started to tip. And they recognized that this picture needs to be Reunderstood, and, and the, the understanding of ministry needs to be balanced, and that is that, as Paul would later go on to talk about in great detail, that everybody's called to ministry. And we need to find those who have gifts, who are called in different ways than we are, to engage in ministry, to, to right the ship, to balance this a little bit. It's not that preaching is more important than serving, but it's rather saying, this is what we're called to do, we need those who are called to do the other things, to step into the gaps. Because as the church is growing, things are being missed. And people are being neglected. And, and things aren't happening the way that they had when it was 100 followers or, or even 3,000 followers. It's starting to grow. And they begin to teach and model for the church that we are all called into ministry. That's a foundational truth of, of our faith. If you are baptized... If you are baptized, you're a minister. If you have stood before the church as we did today and have joined the church, you have taken a, you have accepted a commission to ministry. The problem is too often our, our understanding of what ministry is gets skewed. It gets off balance. And sometimes pastors are, are to blame for that. Sometimes I'm at fault for that. Because what gets highlight, highlighted is a, a narrow living out of ministry. When I was growing up, if you had asked me at age 10, 11, 12, 13 to write down, what does it mean to be a minister? And it'd be interesting if I asked you to do that right now. What to be, does it mean to, to be a minister? What I probably would have talked about, I would have, I would have said, well, that means to, to stand up and preach on a Sunday or to teach a Sunday school class or to lead a music ministry. That, that's what ministry was. That's what I saw. I was 
came to church every Sunday, and Dad was up there preaching, and, and Sue Bond was the, the choir director, and she was up there leading, and others were teaching Sunday school. That's what ministry was to me. And that wasn't an incorrect understanding. It was just a narrow understanding. As I grew, as I got more engaged in the work of the church and the ministry of the church, I started to see ministry much broader. And I started to recognize that ministers were all over the place. That it wasn't just the people up front on Sunday morning, but that the, the people that were serving in the food kitchen and serving hungry people that came in during the week, they were ministers. Those who were packing lunches for kids like we do here so they can eat on the weekends, they're ministers. Those who are visiting the sick in the hospitals are ministers. Those who are reaching out in one-on-one are ministers. Those who are helping serve the church in maintenance and, and giving their gifts and their talents, they're ministers. I started to recognize that my vision, my, my balance was off. It was too narrow. And too often that's what happens. We fall into that. And we think ministry is the responsibility of some. Brothers and sisters, hear me very, very clearly. The gospel message is clear. The epistles are clear. The New Testament is clear. Ministry is our responsibility. And what happens sometimes, and this is not a deflection, but what happens sometimes is things slip through the cracks. And things don't always get done. And there's a tendency sometimes, and I'm going to challenge you flat out. If you've ever thought, well, gosh, this isn't getting done, he needs to do something about that. I'm going to challenge you. I am not in that boat alone. You are with me. And I make mistakes. And I miss things. And I fall short. But I'm not called to be the ministry of this church. I'm called to be a minister among ministers in this church. And you are a part of that. And we need to be challenged to balance that. That's why we celebrate Stephen ministry, because it is such a model for us. Stephen ministers who step into those places that, as a pastor, that I can't always be. Because I have not more important responsibilities. I have different responsibilities. I have a different call. And they step into the care of those who may, like those Hellenistic widows, fall into the gaps. Because we're called to to be a balance. We're called to be a church that not just proclaims the word, but lives the word. And that's what Stephen, Peter is the voice. Peter's the image of the pastor, the teacher, the proclaimer. But Stephen steps up. And Stephen is the one that is engaged in the one-on-one, the the work of ministry. And that word, that's probably not fair because both are the work of ministry, but a different work of ministry. That's what Stephen represents. And we're all called to that. We're all challenged to live, not in just to the word of Jesus, but the compassion of Jesus. Not just the sacraments, but the service. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That is our challenge, and we need to own that together, our responsibility to each other and to the world around us. I had had a pastor, I'll never ever forget, my Christian ethics professor in seminary. He flat out, called us on the carpet. He challenged us as pastors. He said, in your ministry, I'll never forget this, he said, when that day comes, when that young person who has grown up in your church, male, female, when that young person who has grown up in your church, who begins to make some destructive choices in their life, whatever they may be, drugs, uh, promiscuity, whatever it is, they make some choices that have terrible, terrible consequences. He said, don't you ever allow your church to look at that young person and look at his or her parents and say, I wonder where those parents went wrong. 
He said, you force your church to look at themselves and say, where did we go wrong? Where did we let down this child? And I know they're responsible, and we're not, I'm not absol- I'm absolving personal responsibility, but I'm saying we have to understand our role. We're in this together. When children are baptized in this church, you know what you say? You basically take a vow to help raise them because we're the body. And it's not the responsibility of one or two. It's a responsibility of all of us. You're challenged to that. I'm challenged to that. That's what it means to serve and to live into our call of Christ. That's what Stephen does. He steps up. And he and others begin to serve in ways and to meet needs where people would fall through the gaps. I would wish, I could say, I wish, you know, we never had people fall through the gaps here. But I know better. Because we're not perfect either. But Stephen ministers give us a model that we're all called to live into. How are the ways God calls you, whatever your gifts and your passions are, to step into the gap, to serve and to make a difference because it changes lives. I want to share with you a letter that I got this week. This was too good to be anything but the work of the Holy Spirit because I didn't solicit this. Uh, I didn't um, ask anybody to go get a, a testimony. But this is a letter that came in to me from somebody who is a recipient of our Stephen Ministries. And I got her permission to share parts of this um, without, without sharing her name. So I'm, I, I'm honoring that and, and her um, permission to do this. But this is part of what she wrote. She said, my name is, and she shared that, and said, I'm a recipient of Stephen Ministries. I just want to tell you how important this ministry is to me. I became a Christian exactly 40 years ago. I attended church my entire adult life and moved into this area over 20 years ago. She then went on to share some of her church experiences, but also to share that shortly after she retired, she suffered a debilitating injury. She goes on to write, I am in chronic pain continually and very disabled. I never married and have no family. The few friends I had disappeared. So if it was not for the Stephen Ministries, I truly do not know what I would do. My Stephen minister is totally perfect and handles me so well, even in my unpleasant state. She again goes on to sing the praises of her Stephen minister. She says, I'd never heard of Stephen Ministries, and it really is a wonderful concept. I have sadly found that those who know my condition from my old church are gone. The type of person that commits to this ministry to me is an exceptional person, a true Christian. I think I got the best one. I just wanted to promote it from the recipient's end. And this is the key phrase. I really do not know what I would do without my Stephen minister. God bless them. God bless their families. God bless your church. People fall into the gaps all the time, not because we mean to, not because of malice, but because... Life happens. But our challenge is to step into those places. That's your challenge, and it's mine. It's not one or the other, it's, it's both. We're called to be proclaimers of the word, but to doers of the word. That's what James says in chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. Billy Graham once called it, I love the way he described it, he said, faith is the breathing in and the works are the breathing out. You don't have one without the other. Our challenge is to be like Christ, to be servants to step into the places of need wherever God would open your eyes to them. Step into the places where people can fall through the cracks to serve them and to love them. 
my challenge, it's your challenge, it's our challenge. It does come at a cost. It will cost you. In fact, it cost Stephen his life. Acts chapter 7, he's stoned. Now for us, that cost probably will never be that demanding. But it will cost your time, cost your energy, cost your resources. It's not an easy way. And remember, friends, Jesus never called us to the easy way. But it comes at a cost, but it is a choice that we make to not only recognize our blessings, to be blessed, to be a blessing, to not only recognize that we have been served, but we are called to serve. And my prayer is that one day when we stand before the Lord, we will hear these words, faithful servant, you have served well. May that be the testimony of my life, of your life, but most importantly of our life together as the people of Christ. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your willingness to continue to use us, even though we so many times fall short. And thank you that each day is a new day. New opportunities you give us to, to step into the gaps, to be a Stephen for somebody who's in need, to love somebody who's hurting, to care for somebody who's broken. Well, we all are too. And we pray that you'll send those people into our lives as we seek to be those lives, those for others. Use us, that we would not only be a people who have been served by Christ, but we will be a people who serve Christ and live out your compassion. In Jesus' name we pray.